0: Moncrief on News Talk. Every year, Oxfam produces a report which looks at the super wealthy, the point being to track economic inequality around the globe. Unsurprisingly, the poor are still poor, while the wealthy are still raking it in, to the extent that Oxfam reckons that within the next decade, we will have our first trillionaire. We're joined by the journalist and author Atusa Abrahanian. Good afternoon, Atusa. Good
1: afternoon, Sean. Uh, So
0: is that a credible claim to you that we would have a trillionaire within the next 10 years?
1: Well, listen, I'm not an economist, but it certainly seems like we're heading in that direction. Um, Oxfam has been putting out these reports for a while Do they have an agenda? Sure, they want to raise awareness of inequality. But if you look at just how much money the billionaire class currently owns, it's not out of bounds to imagine that soon there will be a trillionaire in our midst.
0: Yeah. How many zeros is a trillion?
1: Uh, How many do you think it is?
0: I I have no idea. It
1: It is 12 zeros. 12 zeros, by the way, does not fit on the iPhone screen. So that's how big we're talking. It's a thousand trillion
0: oh my God, you'd need a new trillionaire iPhone uh, to even count how much money you have. That's extraordinary, <laughs> yeah. uh, really. And, the, 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 and does that, do these things have a real world effect uh, in, in you know, in the sense, okay, somebody will be super, super wealthy and look down on the billionaires. Does that affect the rest of us in any meaningful way?
1: It does. It really does. Uh, I mean, in theory, a trillionaire could, you know, put all the money in, in many, many mattresses and sit on it and do nothing. But the way that money works is um, well, money doesn't sleep. Very wealthy people will invest their money, will put it in places to make more money. And once you're at the I mean, even at the billionaire level, but certainly at the trillionaire level, you can't buy that much stuff. I mean, how many houses can you buy uh, if you buy if you buy real estate, for instance, which is a you know popular way of investing money? You're going to be a landlord for lots of people. That's going to affect them. You know, how will that modify house prices? Uh, if you put it in the stock market, you're going to have a lot of control over companies. Um, if you donate to political campaigns, that's going to skew the balance of power. So this affects each and every one of us. Mm. Now, now, And
0: these ways of looking at wealth, I suppose they're they're really only relatively recent.
1: Yeah, I think that before we had paper money, um, we didn't talk about m- talk about wealth in terms of millions or billions or trillions, right? It, it was a little bit more concrete. You had land, you had gold, maybe you had an empire, um, but you, know, you could more or less point to it and touch it and feel it and see where it was going. Whereas now the nature of wealth is so abstract uh, that it is essentially uh, above a certain level, it's numbers on a screen and they go up and down and up and down. And you know these people don't even notice when they lose fifty million dollars overnight. Yeah, it's wild.
0: Somebody's uh, texting in to say, if you had a million, you could spend ten thousand a day for a hundred days. If you had a billion, uh, you could spend ten thousand a day for 274 <clears throat> years. A trillion would let you spend ten thousand a day for two hundred seventy four thousand years. Uh. Yeah,
1: and think <laughs> think of how much that could. It, it, it's not you know you can't. Think of how much that would mean to people who have much, much less. Uh, it's it's absurd. Yeah, no, and it is interesting as well because um,
0: you did a piece for the Guardian about this, and and you were saying who the first millionaire was, who the first billionaire was, and it, it almost seems to happen that these things aren't value free. In that the first millionaire was John Jacob Astor. Uh, who is a German-American businessman but made at least part of his uh, fortune from sell, selling drugs to uh, the Chinese he was an opium smuggler
1: right yeah for better or for worse you could definitely smell and feel the effect of what he was buying and selling it wasn't completely abstract
0: yeah uh, and the first who is the first billionaire then
1: so the first a uh, um, a billionaire that we know of that we really have documented is uh, John D Rockefeller and he made his money by building and investing oil refineries again right not not <laughs> we're still living in his world we're still feeling the effects of um fossil fuels uh, but you know this was stuff that people used every day it was useful it it was productive it helped pe- it helped build countries and homes and you know you could see you could see where it was going
0: mm. could you say though this Someone ca- reaches a certain uh, um, level of wealth. They're not, uh, you know, and they can't use the I worked hard for my money argument.
1: You could say that my money worked hard for my money, which I suppose <laughs> if you're really attached to it as an extension of your of your soul or something. But, yeah, it's isn't earned income. I mean, something I, I realized when I was writing this article is that even the uh, the American Tax Authority, the IRS, it calls the money that you get from these kinds of investments unearned income, right? This hmm. isn't Bernie Sanders. This is not a radical left perspective. This is the IRS calling it unearned income. And I think we forget that. Uh, billionaires, millionaires, rich people love to say how hard they've worked and how much of themselves they put into their fortunes. But but this is not money that they made through their labor, per se.
0: And in the U.S., using that as an example, how much tax would they tend to pay on this unearned income?
1: Well, if you're Donald Trump, barely any
0: <laughs> well, I'm, I'm you know we, we we could spend the rest of our time uh, talking about Donald Trump, but th- th- like other people who would be as wealthy as him, probably actually wealthier than him because the money is actually real uh, that uh, d- do they tend to pay tax
1: so capital everyone's uh, situation is different, but the tax rate for capital gains tends to be lower than for uh, wages. Uh, So less than less than me. (laughs) Yes,
0: but they can like they can borrow and, you know, there's 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 all manner of of um, um, tactics available to them to offset them to pay any tax at all that perhaps you and I wouldn't have.
1: Yeah, there's a whole industry of um, accountants um, and accounting firms catering to wealthy people who want to lower their tax bill um, as much as possible and do it legally. Mm -hmm. And that's another aspect of this. The law tends to be on the side of the rich people, um, in part because they do fund political campaigns and they do have a lot of influence uh, on, on electoral politics. Yeah.
0: how Actually, how many, is there any kind of figure? How many of them are Donald Trumpy in the sense that they want actual political office?
1: <laughs> yeah. There was a study um, out of Northwestern University that showed that 11% of the world's billionaires have held or sought political office. Um, that's more than one in 10 and in autocracies, uh, the rate of billionaire participation is almost one third.
0: Wow, and that is interesting.
1: You, you know, most of the billionaires in the world are not uh, in autocracies, and so that's you know, if you if you look at how many um, how many of the billionaires in autocracies are running for office, it's it's, it's quite a lot.
0: Yeah. Now, the, the reason why Oxfam uh, um, produces this report every year is is to show the differences between. Uh, rich and poor. And uh, it seems every year those gaps are getting wider and wider. Historically, has there been anything that's had, you know, uh, any sort of an effect of evening it up even a little bit?
1: Yeah, nothing that we'd really seek out. Um, um, Huge wars, uh, plagues and general immiseration. So, the upshot (laughs) is that when loads loads and loads of people die, their wealth tends to be uh, redistributed uh, somewhat faster than if we were tinkering on the fringes of, of, you know, tax laws.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: Is there any
0: is there any possibility? Because, I mean, you know, even if you're a a billionaire, you've got way more money than you're ever going to spend. And it's probably tied up in various things anyway. Has has anyone ever kind of uh, um, suggested that there be a limit. Now, you know, obviously you can put in legislation and the figure can change because, you know, a million ain't what a million used to be, et cetera, et cetera. But if somebody becomes a trillionaire, could you be, have a law saying, well, you just can't have any more? Sorry, it's too much money and it's too much power to give to one individual.
1: Yeah. So there've been um, obvious cases uh, against having a certain amount of wealth, um, a lot of Communist and socialist thinkers have made these points. More recently, uh, a book has come out called *Limitarianism: The Case Against Extreme Wealth* um, by Ingrid Robins, and uh, this is a book that that argues for a cap on wealth as well. Um, and this is a, a new—I mean, I guess a relatively new proposal. Um, and and along the same lines as the Oxfam report, right? That that having people with an absurd amount of wealth keep the poor, the world's poor, poor. Um, Increase inequality and often the money that very, very wealthy people have um, is not obtained in in the cleanest ways, right? They undermine Mm -hmm. democracy in the process.
0: Mm. Tusa, thank you very much for speaking with us today. And uh, Tusa Abrahamian's piece is in today's Guardian. Moncrief, weekdays at 2 p.m. on News Talk.